The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my friend Chris Dow. Working from my bedside desk. And my other friend Minty Booth. An oscillating nine inches. And we are chatting about our very favourite video games. <laughs> announcement! Announcement! In case you haven't been listening to the start of these episodes, or you've just used that handy skip forward 30 seconds that I used to skip through the entire episode, <laughs> then you may have missed the fact that we've got a Patreon page. Patreon.com slash O3C Games. You can also get to there via our website, o3c.game slash support, and there's links on there to our Patreon page and other bits and bobs as well. The reason we're telling you about this is because we'd love for you to support us even more than you're currently doing just by listening to the podcast. On Patreon, there are options to subscribe financially to the show, and in return, you can get a whole series of perks. Bonus episodes, there's loads of them deleted scenes and outtakes. There's access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel where you can chat with us, you can chat with our smorgasbord of previous guests, other Patreon subscribers. There's also bonus video content available. It's great. But the most important thing is that you'll be supporting us in continuing the show. We're going to be most likely undergoing a seismic shift in format at the end of this season, but we do absolutely intend to continue. But the only way we can do that is with your support. If subscribing isn't your bag, and that's fine, it's a bit needy, then also on that page on our website, o3c.games slash support, there is a one-off donation via PayPal button. If you just want to fling a few coffers our way and go, thanks, keep going, we'd appreciate that. It would help us keep going. On the topic of Patreon subscribers, we want to give a shout out to the boys over at the Chat of the Wild podcast, fellow HyperX Network podcast. We very much appreciate your support and we'll, we'll have you on the show soon. That's not a guarantee if you support us on Patreon that we'll have you on the show. But I tell you what, if you don't subscribe, you definitely won't get on the show. <laughs> class is back in session and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX Back to School deals going on now at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. So, after a little bit of a delay, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, uh, the, the blame, I mean, it doesn't really go at me, but uh, BT, the internet provider, what can only be described as shocking. The only way I've managed to get back online is by sacrificing a virgin. And by sacrificing a virgin, I mean installing a virgin <laughs> line into my house. <laughs> so I am back online. And fortunately, I haven't gone to prison for murdering BT. And we're picking up our addendum. We're on the final stretch. We've got one addendum left each. What are our addendums? Well, what happened, you see? We spent three years putting together a top 100 list, and it was great. And it was great. During those three years, unfortunately, we played a lot of games, and a lot of very, very good games. 
And now this season has been about retroactively fitting those games into our top 100 lists and unfortunately getting rid of games to make way for them. And we've just got one left each. I'm so excited to find out what Minty's is today because it is his week to tell us what his final addendum is. And after numerous curveballs throughout this season, it literally could be anything. (laughs) It could be absolutely anything. And I can't wait to find out. But before we do that, let's chat about what we've played in this last week. And Minty, why don't you kick us off? I will. So those of you who listened to uh, our little bonus episode last week, you'll know that I've been playing a lot of Digimon Survive. You have? You have. I listened. I have, yes. So I've now got to a point where a dialogue box has come up and said, you should save now because the path will branch. Oh dear. Yeah, so I've made three save files now, (laughs) just in case I do something wrong or I I, I get to a place where I don't want to go. But I'm just going to carry on with that. Again, I'm way past part five, so no spoilers, but it is still very, very good. It's still an incredibly good game. A good game, a good visual novel. Okay, battling, as we established last week. I have calmed down, as I promised I would, so (laughs) enjoy it in your own way but make sure you fucking enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I was also a victim of a crime last week, so I've been playing a little bit more Quake as well, just to get some frustration out there. Just imagining that uh, the person that stole my car is one of the many ogres, shamblers, vores, enforcers, even dogs that you fight in Quake. They're less than dogs, those people. Damn dirty dogs! Yeah, yeah. I think I might have mentioned that I am playing through uh, one of the level packs called Dissolution of Eternity, which I believe was the second map pack for the base game when it was on the PC. It's really, really good. Uh, The levels are really well designed. There is one new enemy that is like a vor that floats around and just hits you with homing shots that follow you around corners. So like, if you can see it when it's fired, you are basically fucked. But it's it's still very satisfying when you kill them. Just make sure you're doing it far away because they do explode and damage you when they do die. Do die. So, yeah, I think that is all I've been playing this week. A bit of Quake, some Digimon. I'm cracking on with this idle research game that I mentioned last week. I have slowed down on it a lot for quite a superficial reason. I've seen that the developer is called Crypto Grounds Games. Oh, and that's dear. made me think, is this a crypto thing? I mean, there's no cryptocurrency in the game at all, so maybe they're just... Branching out. Maybe they're just using the word crypto as a cool word, like cryptozoology or something like that. Could be. But you know what they say, Minty? Mm. If you're not paying for the product, you are, you are the, the product. product. Mm. Yeah. I'm downloading it now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've just, yeah, just opened it up to look at my progress as well. Um, yeah, so... And that's it. I did start playing a little bit of Alphabet 2 as well, based on last week's little chat yes. about... Uh, oh, yeah, I downloaded that games. as well. Yeah, that's fun. I haven't played it a lot, though, so maybe I'll save that for next week. Chris, have you played any more Alphabet? I haven't, actually, but I do hope that you're not getting bored of me just talking about faffing around the Steam Deck every week. No. <laughs> because it's still blowing my mind on a pretty much daily basis at the minute. I've continued to play Xenoblade Chronicles X after mentioning that last week. For years, I thought that this game would suffer if it was translated to the Switch, for example, because of its gamepad implementation. But playing it on the deck has proven that I needn't have worried, really, because 
on that emulator at least, I've mapped one of the back triggers to bring up the touchscreen whenever it's held down and the ability to just quickly flick between screens works pretty much perfectly. And with the Steam Deck already having a touchscreen, it's easy enough to then use your, your spare hand to prod at quick travel points or organize like the mining arrays that the game asks you to set up across its map. Although it's not seamless doing that, kind of flicking between the two screens, because obviously having it at your disposal at all times, like on the Wii U, is better, it still works. And as people found with something like Star Fox Zero, for example, in particular, as humans, we can only actually look at one thing at a time. Exactly. So, you know, even if you lose a tiny drop of convenience of not having to hold down the button to, to shift your view, for the majority of players, this is really not going to be an issue. One thing this game also highlights really well is another positive of the Steam Deck screen, because it's only 800p that I've mentioned before. And that was something that a lot of people whinged about when it was initially announced, saying, well, it should be a should be a 1080p panel, surely. But as I've already mentioned, for like AAA games that you buy via Steam, having that slightly lower resolution has meant that brand new titles like Spider-Man Remastered will run pretty darn well. Yeah. Because it's not outputting the same number of pixels as a 1080p screen or a 4K screen or whatever. Your eyes can't see the pixels, like, anyway. At that density, you can't. You really can't. When they're moving, I mean, if you stop on a pause screen and get your face right up, you <laughs> fucker, then yeah. You... Which I do. Which I well, do. Good, but, you know. <laughs> but what's worked really well, though, is when you play games that are emulated from this generation, so thinking like the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox 360 or the Wii U, most of those games only ever targeted 720p anyway for the screens we were playing on. And it means that you get a gloriously crisp image in your hand because it's native resolution. So yeah. it looks better than it would do on the Switch, for example, when a lot of games are kind of capped a little bit lower to just handle the lower spec. I'm not fussy about this stuff generally, which is obviously evidenced by the fact that I've played pretty much all my multi-platform games on the Switch for the last five years. Yeah. You know, with all the kind of smeary upscaled visuals that that entails, I just preferred having that console. But it is nice to suddenly have some of these games really shine just by being moved to a slightly different hardware configuration. Sticking with old games for a bit, I installed the very first Assassin's Creed on the deck as it was discounted to about £3 this last weekend. I have quite literally never played an Assassin's Creed game other than one of the mobile spin-offs that I had on my first Windows <laughs> smartphone. Wow. And I think most people, especially looking back now, would agree that Assassin's Creed didn't really turn into anything worth talking about until its second entry. But I've always felt it's important with the games to see where things start and how they develop because it becomes much easier to appreciate why B is so good if you can reflect on what A had sort of proposed previously but maybe didn't get quite right. Yeah. And it's fine. You know, the parkour <laughs> stuff is still quite cool. The combat, I don't think is particularly fun, at least in this first entry. The story, at least in the first couple of hours, is both incredibly high concept and incredibly low brow all yeah. at once. <laughs> like it really yeah. is both sides It's so of the funny. Like, if you watch the film. Oh God, I forgot that existed. Yeah. yeah. Like I've only ever seen the first half of it. And <clears throat> occasionally I think I'm quite in the mood for that. Every time I don't get past the halfway point, but just <laughs> trying to see them sort of deliver those concepts po-faced yeah. is just like, come on guys there is definitely something about like taking that idea like it's not really a spoiler to talk about this now because the game is about 500 years old you're jumping into the memories of your ancestors or some bullshit in a magic machine and i don't care the, the thing is i really don't care just remove that yeah. whole conceit yeah it'd be no different but because i'm playing this old game the the models for the characters all look a bit like wallace and cromit smudgy <laughs> and stuff like that and because of that you don't take them as seriously as you would do if it is like michael fassbender trying to sell this properly yeah so yeah i think you know it is what it is and for better or worse it's another game that i've never played 
I'd always had this niggling gap in my own game knowledge and I can now say it's slightly more filled and I don't think I'm suddenly going to become a convert to the series even if the modern games are meant to be like decent popcorn gaming but I do like being able to know where it began. Now finally a game I've played a fair bit of this week is old favourite Mixalumia, the block dropping puzzle game that came out sort of a year or so ago and I talked about it I think on a like an end of year episode in particular, because I was really keen for it for a little while. But just as block droppers like Luminaires and Tetris always feel best on a handheld, having Mixalumia on the Steam Deck now has just made it more fun to play. And as much as I bought my gaming laptop a few years ago with grand intentions of being able to sit down and play all these wonderful games I owned on Steam, I just don't particularly enjoy gaming while sat on a dining chair at a desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and having experiences like Mixaluma, especially, like you're playing three, four minute rounds. It's a very quick paced game. Having that uncoupled from the setup of, you know, like I'm eating my dinner has just made them better games. It has taken me a bit of time to remember how to play Mixalumia because it really does ask you to think about quads and lines and pieces in a very different way to even Luminaires, really, which I guess is its closest counterpart. But I'm really enjoying that struggle. And when I beat a previous high score the other day to move a few spots up the leaderboard, it just felt really good. And it's a perfect game, I think, to take up 50 megabytes you know, on your Steam Deck storage and just be there to dip in and out of. Because it probably is, if I'm being honest, my favourite genre of game, really. <laughs> Music-adjacent block-dropping puzzle games. That really does sum me up quite well, I think. It does. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I'm so excited to really start to delve into what the Steam Deck can do uh, through you, because uh, <laughs> I, I don't have whatever it is that you have that would allow me to tinker. An intense patience. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's my forte. I'm more the, the Taylor Soldier spy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my gaming week or weeks because I haven't given you an update in a little while. Uh, to be fair, Chris, you got it absolutely spot on last yes. week when you guessed that I'd been hunting monsters with Casper. I have. I have hunted a lot of monsters because when I'd kind of capped out the main stuff in Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, I then was like, well, I could start Xenoblade Chronicles 3 or I could buy Monster Hunter World on the Steam Deck and start that. I remember when I first started playing Monster Hunter World on the PS4 when it first came out, because I thought, oh yeah, I I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to get into this. There was too much. There was too much to learn. It's such a high bar to entry. To be honest, like, even now I know exactly how like the Monster Hunter games work and like all the different systems at play. There was still an element of just going, oh, I just, oh, I just need to study this. I need to learn. I need to, oh, it's too much. There's too much. But it didn't take me long to really sort of break the back of it a little bit and get sucked in. And Monster Hunter World is gorgeous. It's very beautiful and slow and organic. It's amazing to sort of compare the two, actually, like Monster Hunter Rise and what they've done with it. Its heart and its soul is very, very different. Like Monster Hunter Rise is very arcadey. It's very quick. It's very immediate. And I love that about it. And that's what's made it so enjoyable and addictive. Whereas Monster Hunter World is just a full living, breathing world that you're living in and you explore it very, very slowly. Like the AI in the game, there's just so much going on. Like the level of complexity that is existing in all of the different ecosystems is just staggering. Like you could very happily just sit and watch 
all these places exist without interfering at all. Pokemon Snap. It's Yeah, mm. I mean, it is very much like that. You know, you've got like day and night cycles and you'll see like monsters behaving like totally organically and hunting, uh, the, see the food chain come to life and, and everything. But it is amazing how much chaff is stripped away in Rise. And it's a positive and a negative thing because like I do really, really love how quick you can just get into a quest and how easily you can link up with people online in Rise. It's also just, just rampantly efficient and just extraordinarily fun, especially with like the additional movement mechanics in the game, which allows you to get around like a hundred times faster. But the flip side in World is that you really feel like a hunter rather than just a fighter. And you take your time, like, peeling through the environment, stopping to analyse tracks and signs of beasts, just being slow and cautious. It's a very, very different feel for the game, even though it's almost identical in its core setup. The story in Monster Hunter World is much of a muchness. It's just a vehicle to get all of these absurdly enormous, dangerous monsters to keep getting bigger and needing to be hunted (laughs) but it looks and feels just gorgeous to play on the steam deck the style is a bit more realistic than in rise which is lovely to see i think where they took rise was a brilliant direction apparently there is a monster hunter world 2 in the works that could potentially be the next big monster hunter game that we see i think there is a really good balance to be found between world and rise because if they fuse just the quicker elements of rise with the environmental depth and richness of world i mean especially if that was you know being developed for current gen because monster hunter world is a ps4 game it's last gen you know i mean monster hunter world 2 could be something quite incredible not that i need an excuse to just play even more monster hunter because as soon as i'd kind of like was getting to the end game of of, uh, of monster hunter world then the first update came out for sunbreak you're expecting with an update to have like, I don't know, a couple of new quests, maybe a new weapon or maybe a new monster. But there's like four new massive monsters, a totally new arena to fight in and an entirely new crafting system to elevate your weapons and your armor to another level. I mean, it's another 20 hours of gameplay. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, it just keeps on giving and it just keeps on getting bigger and better and harder and gnarlier. That's a word I didn't think I'd use, but, you know, it's true. It's just wonderful. And me and Casper are still having a great time hunting. I took great joy in in using a few uh, set builders online to try and find the right combination of different armor types and infused with different decorations to sort of bring in certain skills and very satisfying when you sort of nail that. And that's the whole meta game. But unfortunately, well, fortunately, every update that comes out, the meta game changes entirely and you need to redo that. But hey. That's what spreadsheets are for. Am I right? Love Excel. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. And I still haven't managed to play any more of Xenoblade 3 (laughs) because I've just been too focused on hunting monsters. I'm going away on holiday next week. So I might take that with me then for a bit of a slow relaxation game rather than just constant online bombardment. But that's me. Too long didn't read. Hunted more monsters. So, Minty. Yes. I'm ready for your final addendum. I'm ready. Amend your list one more time. What's your final addendum? What are you getting rid of? What's going in? New number one, I hope. Well, we'll see. We're catching up quickly to the present day with my final choice to amend my list with. It only came out last Christmas. Back before then, we've made our lists. And after some juggling, I had 20 games that I was happy with to put into the list by hook or by crook. 
when I put today's game into that list, I hadn't actually played it. I left, <laughs> I left it for last with the annotation. I hope it's good. Would you believe it, listener? It wasn't. It's extraordinary. It's a masterpiece. Oh, what the old <laughs> fake out. The old fake out. Oh, hey. You confidence trickster. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I'm revisiting the mashed corpse of that horse that has just a post-it stuck to its forehead that says, I really like fantastical things. I love mundane settings in video games, like exploring towns, chatting with locals. Um, it's even better when there's like a fantasy twist there, like it, when it comes to creatures like, like the Argonians or the Khajiit, elves, people. Even just taverns where you can play made-up card games or anything that has just one foot in reality and the other in fantasy. <clears throat> Do you have that in a large? <laughs> Bonus points if it's in the real world. Games like The World Ends With You and Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth have a very special place in my heart. What with both of them being set in Japan, uh, which is a real-world place, I hear. <laughs> Don't know, never been there. Uh, but both have you crossing the sprawling metropolis to uncover the mystery of your past with monsters and power-ups aiding you. Today's game has you trawling that very same Japan, only this time it's been destroyed by demons vying for the throne of creation following the death of the Most High God. As the main character, it's absolutely not a spoiler to say that it is you who places your holy rump upon that throne. Ah. There is so much more to Shin Megami Tensei Five than just getting to the credits. The game starts off in a high school. Events transpire. You're told to head back to your dorm room in groups as it's unsafe out there. As if by magic, something unsafe happens. You are caught in an earthquake and transported to the Daat, a hellish and ruined version of Tokyo. It is there that you meet Algami, the proto-fiend who takes you by the hand and fuses with your very essence, becoming the forbidden being, the true deity, the Nahobino. The throne of creation has been contested since time began in these games. Gods from all pantheons have sought to rule. The creator, the last god to take the throne, sought to preserve his rule eternally by rending the spirits of the lesser gods in two. By separating them from their knowledge, each god was reduced to a mere demon and a human counterpart that held their knowledge. Should a demon find the human that holds their knowledge, their power will grow to such heights that they can finally throw down a challenge to the throne. Infusing with Algami, we are now the frontrunner. As we explore the world and get shuffled between quests, side quests, treasure hunting, collectible finding and giant monster fighting, making choices all along the way, whether that be through dialogue or deciding how to resolve disputes with lesser demons, all of these things come together at the end of the game and have an impact on the kind of supreme being that you become. Do you side with humanity, caught in an eternal struggle of cosmic proportions through no fault of their own? Do you uphold the law of God? sacrificing freedom and self-determination in the name of universal peace? Do you restore power to the old gods, emphasising freedom at the cost of great unrest, conflict and strife? Or do you do a load of side quests and unlock the secret ending? The choice is yours. Speaking of the old gods, there's a whole ton of them from all kinds of mythologies. From the Greek mythology, we've got things like the Hecaton Chires, to the giant mother of Hindu lore. Even some demons from Solomon's Goita, the fairies of Celtic mythology, lesser beasts of legend and holy Chinese dragons. And they're all ripe for the picking. 
The combat in Shin Megami Tensei revolves around recruiting demons to fight alongside you, bargaining with them, earning their trust, beating them into submission, whatever works for you. I really love that the battle music starts out pretty chill. It's almost sedate. You've got two factions approaching each other. There's an unease in the air. Will they talk or will they fight? But it's only when you strike the first blow that the real battle music kicks in. And it's a really nice touch that I never really got tired of. It starts off with this groovy bass line, just getting smashed out the way by driving guitars and a pretty tasty heavy beat. And it's not just recruiting that allows you to build your team. You can also take all the demons that you've collected by recruiting them and fuse them together to make even stronger ones. There are some that do get unlocked through side quests, including the mighty golden dragon, Huang Long, who you meet in the very first area. And he charges you with fighting the four divine beasts of Chinese mythology, who are pretty much mid-game bosses. And then once you've beaten them, you can go back to him and he issues a final challenge. And he is a late-game boss. And then he joins your team if you beat him. So there's all kinds of ways to build a really, really strong team as you try and fight through all the demons that are contesting the throne so that you can sit on it on your own in the end. And... No Shin Megami Tensei game will be complete without the press turn battle system, which rewards you for exploiting your opponent's weaknesses whilst avoiding their strengths. Every enemy has elemental weaknesses and resistances. If you hit an elemental weakness, you get an extra turn. If you hit an elemental resistance, you lose a turn. It's a nice twist on the turn-based battle system, and one that uh, really sets Shin Megami Tensei apart from many of the other games that are just press A to attack. Atmospherically, this is a sad and desolate game. The further you get into the story, the more you learn just how bad things have gotten with no creator keeping things in check and keeping the universe ticking over. The world, the universe is fast approaching annihilation. Each of the biomes that you visit, and I don't know if biomes is the right word to use for the levels in this game, as that invokes some greater degree of variety than... Another city has been destroyed, but this time in a completely different way. Each biome is so desolate, filled with marauding demons, morose and dangerous, but with hope sprinkled throughout. There's the fairy village that takes in lost children. The enigmatic swordsman, Fionn McCool, who keeps watch over the weak. And of course, you yourself, the Nahabino, that tears down all those that would seek to kill and destroy. A fiend using demons to kill demons to restore divinity to the universe. It's high stakes, it's bombastic, and it's just, just wonderful. I did mention the music briefly there, but I do want to mention a couple of standout tracks for me. Please do. Yep, Fionn McCool's battle theme and the overworld music in the final area are the two standouts for me. Fionn McCool's theme is an absolute banger. It's a pumping, rocky powerhouse that mirrors the challenge of fighting him. But I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the overworld theme for the last area. Oh, it's just something else entirely. I saw a comment that somebody left on, a, on one of those extended videos of this track, and it just said, Atlas knows how to make a white final level. And they were spot on. Like previous levels were, were red with rust, covered in sand and concrete. Like there's rebar poking out of parts of the geography, buildings are sort of falling to one side. There's still an element of civilization of society there. But in this final area in the Diet Tato, that final area is it's it's desolate on a more conceptual level. 
At this stage in the game, reality is starting to dissolve. Skyscrapers are fading into nondescript oblongs, colour is draining from everything, and it's the music that keeps you company and almost haunts you every step of the way. It evokes weeping, futile chanting, a sprinkle of beauty from a light piano trill. It's one of my favourite levels in any game ever. I could have completed Shin Megami Tensei 5 in about half the time I did, because I spent about 40 hours just wandering around this last level. For me, it's a top 10 game. The game that's coming out today is Pokemon Emerald, which is a little bit lower down the list, but I'm putting Shin Megami Tensei 5 in at number 8. Ooh, Hi. top 10 top Hi. 10 game you love to see it you love to see it mm. fantastic have you played any of the other shimagami games minty i have not no no you can get three on the switch can't you the remaster of three i think came out yes so there's a remaster of three on the switch is there also talk of some of the persona games coming out on yes. the switch now yeah that's right yeah, yeah. yeah i think Three, four, and five uh, are coming. Mm. Yeah. Percentage-wise, I probably have only played a little bit of five, but it really is incredible. Mm. Like, everything you've just said about what you love and what you want to see is is in there. Oh, yeah, you'd love it. You'd really, really love it. Do you think a game will ever come along that dethrones Tales of Symphonia for you? That's a great question. No, I don't think so. Um... Great. Join us. No. <laughs> <laughs> Always funny, hopefully. I've been thinking about what makes Tales of Symphonia just so special for me recently. If you were to just look at it objectively, it is, for all intents and purposes, it is a, a fairly standard JRPG, but made incredibly well. I think one of the things for me that really elevates it above everything else is the interactions that the characters have between each other, the fact that the relationship levels that you build between the characters affects cutscenes and who speaks, and being able to influence what things you get out of the story by your own decisions, even if you're not affecting like the overall plot, just affecting investing more into one character to learn more of their story, seeing them more in cutscenes, and then I think going out of your way not just following the linear story path and hoping that there's going to be a side quest that branches off here and there, but I love being able to just play a game your own way, not in an open world way, but in a way that makes you think, oh, if I do this, will they have considered that somebody might want to do this? And they have by just subtly amending the story going forward. Nothing will ever come close. I'm sorry. Wow. Big words, big words. You're going to have to wait a couple of weeks to find out whether or not I think Half-Life 2 will ever be dethroned. But I cannot wait for next week to see whether or not Res Infinite can be dethroned for Chris's favourite game of all time. But there we go. That was Minty's final amendment for his top 100 list. And it was... Shin Megami Tensei 5. Fan-bloody-tastic. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platform of choice. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please do check out our Patreon page, uh, or go to our website, o3c.games support. Have a little look at the ways you can support us, and we'd be hugely appreciative of that. In addition to sharing the podcast on your social media platforms, you can also engage with us on social media as well. We are on everything at O3C Games, or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week where Chris will be amending his list for the final time. Yes, I will. What's it going to be?
Probably a bottle of something. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Explode When Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Video games. Oh, okay, video games. Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat, we have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Class is back in session and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back to school deals going on at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable clown headsets can help keep you focused and you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats. And stay productive with lightweight pulse fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories.